Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Hi, David. How are you today? Good. How are you, Henry? I'm doing great, and I'm excited about this podcast on delivering remarkable customer service. It's something that's, I am too. that's dear to both of our hearts. It's something we're extremely passionate about, and we, we want to get right into it, which is what is it that we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about this thing that's quite the challenge. You can talk about delivering customer service. You can think about it. You can want to, but to actually execute it uh, on a consistent basis I have found in my experience, and I think you would agree, is a difficult thing to pull off. There's a lot behind yeah. it. You can't just give it lip service. There's a lot to it. And so, I would agree. And so how do you start that? How do you begin to make it part of your uh, work environment, your business, your culture? I don't think there's a quick fix to this. I think it takes a lot of work. I think it uh, starts at the top and ends at the top. And so I want to get right into the first question that we'll talk about, which is, what is it? What is remarkable customer services? How, how do you okay, define so, that? You know, I, I want to point out that one thing that you did when we started our business, which is a food service retail business, uh, so everybody has a kind of a basic idea of what it is, but you started off with the topic of remarkable customer service, and you were very focused on that, and you are focused on that term. So uh, one thing I want you to do is define, we talk about customer service, but we want to take it a step further and define what remarkable customer service is. Right. And and I got that from a great book called The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Uh, to me, it's a must read, a very easy read. It's not a very long book, but extremely insightful. And that's where I got the terminology from. He defines it. A couple of quotes I want to share from that book um, is something remarkable is worth talking about, worth noticing, exceptional, new, interesting, Remarkable marketing is the art of building things worth noticing right into your product or service. In other words, you're not taking something and then trying to hype it. It's what you offer that is remarkable. Uh, so that's key to me. So it's, it's as simple as when someone comes to your business or uh, buys your service or your product, they remark on how great it is. They remark on the wonderful experience. And remarking means they share that experience with their friends, their family, their colleagues, online, in conversation. So that's my definition of remarkable customer service. Yeah. And do you think, I'm, I might be moving ahead here on you, but do you think remarkable means they thought it was good, it met their expectations, or do you think it was something that they weren't expecting that they ended up getting? Definitely something that surprised them, I believe, is what it is. I think it's when someone goes somewhere. Now, this is the first time someone goes to your business or, or experiences your business or interacts with your business. That first time that someone has an expectation, so a fast food uh, uh, business, let's say, as an example, we have a chain here in Dallas called Whataburger. They're, they're primarily in the south, and they're they are a fast food hamburger chain. But yet the experience you get uh, typically when you walk into a 
Whataburger surprises you, the attention to detail, the customer service, the please and thank you, the cleanliness, everything from wiping down the cup before they give it to you and the drive through those little details that surprise you. To me, that is remarkable. It could be as simple as that. Or, of course, a more classic experience like we both have had when we go to Disney World, let's say, and I tell everybody about how remarkable that was, how great it was. So it can it can vary, but but that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I would probably would agree with that. I think it's it's both. I think it's you went into a facility or went to an event that you thought was going to be one way, but it turned out to be something completely different. So you were surprised in a great way when you went to this store, went to this event or went to this place. And then I think the other side of it is they just consistently deliver that. So it continually becomes an experience that you enjoy and it never gets, never gets old. It never gets old. So I think organizations that really deliver good, remarkable customer service continue delivering that on a day-to-day, week-to-week, year-by-year basis. That's right. It, and in this age of everyone sharing their opinions online through social media, through review sites, being remarkable is even more critical. And and so it's remarkable is also about getting people to share that story. And as a business owner, especially if your product or service lends itself to it, you want to make it easy for your customer to share that remarkable story because that's what we want them to do at the end of the day. That's business sure. 101. We want our customers to share with others this great experience that they had. And so that's what it's about. Another great book on the topic, also by Seth Godin, I think it's the next one you have to read after Purple Cow, is Free Prize Inside. And it's it's this concept of thinking of it, of what you touched on, David, what is that surprise element? Oh, I didn't expect this when I walked in here, but wow, what a pleasant surprise that right. I walk out of this. So for, for example, I was just in Fort Lauderdale last week and rented a car from Hertz, and I was surprised when I went to, you know, you get in your car when you have gold service and you drive out to the security guard who checks your ID, and I wasn't expecting that to be much of the more than the typical, give me your license, let me check it, goodbye, on your way. But this gal was very nice, very friendly, had a smile on her face, and it surprised me. It delighted me. And, and that's a simple example. It didn't take much for that employee to do so, but she's obviously been trained right. She was hired with that personality, and that came across and made a big impression on me, a very simple thing, but a nice prize that I took away from that experience. Right. And I think Hertz, as an example, has really improved their customer pickup and checkout process with, at least with the gold service, has gotten much, much easier. They don't print out the documents ahead of time. And they, you know, they've got it all automated where the, the car's got barcodes on it now. So they scan the car. They produce the documentation right there. And you're out a lot quicker than you ever used to be. I mean, you remember the frustration of getting in late at night to a Hertz uh, rental car facility and you walk up and you can't find your car. And so you've got to walk all the way back inside, talk to the customer service people. So they've done a much better job of improving that customer experience as far as checkout is concerned. Absolutely. So I, I think so. we've got a good idea of what what remarkable customer service is. Let's move on now to the next question. Okay, Henry, we talked about what is remarkable customer service, but the big issue that most of us face in business is how do you really deliver remarkable customer service and how do you deliver it consistently? What are some of your thoughts on that? 
We'll have a lot of thoughts on that day. <laughs> I can, as you and I can talk about this uh, topic forever, and it's a, it's a tremendous topic. It's an important topic. It's a, a topic that, that we've given a lot of thought to. But I, it starts and it ends at the top. And by the top, I mean the owner. If you're the owner of the business, the, the GM, uh, the person who's responsible for the operations of the business. It stops and it ends there. It has to be genuine. It cannot be just a bunch of motivational posters that are hollow, that don't have any meaning behind them. It's in how you treat your staff. It's how you really treat your customers, especially when something goes wrong. Do you look at your customer as the enemy or are they really your customer? How do you empower your staff? It's all of those little things, and you have to be passionate and relentless. And by relentless, I mean that sometimes it'll feel like, is this worth it? Is all of this effort behind delivering remarkable customer service worth it? You have to have a strong, passionate vision that the bar is set high because that's where you set it, because that's what you would expect when you walk into a business and you must be relentless about it, even in the face of pessimism from others, even from people that you work with, and certainly in the face of cost cutting, if that's where you might be in your business. So it starts and it ends at the top. Right. So in that regard, when you, why is remarkable customer service so important? Why, from a business perspective, are you one of the believers it says you shouldn't even be in business if you're not interested in developing de delivering remarkable customer service. I, I am because the answer for me is it's the way I want to do it. It's it's what I want to have represent me when I walk into one of my businesses that I either currently own or have owned in the past. I want to be proud of that. I want it to represent me. And this is the level that I expect from other businesses when I'm a customer. Therefore, I want it to represent me. So it's it's just a part of what I believe in more than necessarily do I believe it rewards you directly financially. I do believe that, but it's more than that, David. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Are there businesses out there, do you think, that don't deliver well we obviously know there's businesses that don't deliver remarkable customer service are there businesses that should not deliver remarkable customer service that's a that's a darn good question i know that there are some that that don't and still get away with it because they're more transactional because they're more a necessity a gas station might be an example i i stop at a gas station more because it's convenient it's on the right side of the street do i get remarkable customer service no not necessarily do i go back sure because it doesn't necessarily matter to me not that i don't notice it you know there's a a great gas operator here called uh, QT. You have one in your area that, that's performing very well. I will choose them if I can, but it doesn't make or break the decision necessarily. Convenience outrules anything else. So I, I think it depends on the type of product that you are offering. Okay. So in this, this example, we're just going to say this is something we want to offer and we want to be in business, and we've talked about this a lot, Henry. We, whatever business we decide we want to own, we want to be able to deliver remarkable customer service. That's right. Bottom line. That's right. That's right. And so for us, it moves on to the next point besides it starts and ends at the top, which is culture. What is the culture of your company that you want to create and that you believe in? And you can't fake this. So that, that talks to your point. You cannot fake this. The culture really for small businesses undoubtedly represents the belief system of the owner 
but what it is it that you take pride in. So I look at it, and other companies do as well. There's another great book that I read many years ago on the topic of customer service, and it's called Customers for Life, written by Carl Sewell, and he is one of the owners of the Sewell Automotive Group here in Dallas. They own a series of auto dealerships, some of the most successful auto dealerships in the entire country. Their, their right. tagline is very simple, obsessed with service since 1911. And that says it all. That, that's their approach. So the right. culture starts at the top. It's, it's expressed in a, either your, your manifesto, like we have at one of our businesses. It's, it's what you're expressing and putting out there publicly that says, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe in as it relates to how we treat our customers. And that is starts at the top. It's believed in by the owners, and then it flows through your organization. Right. So it, it will guide a lot of decisions that you make. It'll guide how you treat customers. It'll especially guide how you treat employees. I think you hit on a great point that if you don't treat your employees correctly, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to want to turn around and treat your customers well. So I take a philosophy in the business that I own now, and I will tell you this is an evolutionary process for me, but I, I want to my – my employees will come first above all else because I know if I take care of my employees, they will take care of the customer. That's right. And it can't be hollow, Dave. It can't be, again, a poster or, or a fake employee of the month program. It has to be genuine. There has to be some truth behind it. People, it's, it's, it's a very thin veneer that people see past very quickly. I've been and you've been to plenty of fast food chain as an example, not to keep picking on that industry because there are a lot that execute well. But there are lots that don't, and you see the employee right. of the month plaque, and you know it's, it means nothing, right? <laughs> it, it's a joke uh, yeah. because that tells you that's an organization that's, that's giving it lip service, that's throwing some ideas at it. They read it somewhere or they thought at corporate it might be a good idea, but that's not what they believe, and right. that's critical. Right. So culture and, is, is a big piece of it. And if you look at other – like I think a Southwest Airlines does a great job of creating that culture, but – they will protect the employee. So if a if the manager or owner has to choose between the employee and a customer, unless the employee is a bad employee, uh, Southwest Airlines will actually choose the employee over the customer. So one thing I want to talk about, I don't know if we'll get into it in this podcast, Henry, but uh, you know, they're not all customers are correct. I mean, a lot of customers have some real misguided ideas to say it very nicely about what customer service is. And you have to protect the organization and the organism uh, from those type of customers as well. Oh, absolutely. And, that, and it took me a while to get to this. I, I really, early on in my business ownership career, thought, well, the customer is always right. You must satisfy every customer. And I've come to learn that that is simply not the case and not possible. There are some people that you need to tell to go away. It's not a fit. that They don't get the value that you're offering. And it's okay to ask them to go away. Not in so many words, but you understand what I'm saying. And absolutely, right. the way we try to look at it as the employee is always right, it's just that we have to make most customers feel like they're always right. And there's a right. balance there. But the employees need to know that you've got their back, that you trust them, that you've empowered them. And again, some people, you need to tell them to go away. And that's a hard thing right. to do. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, you know, one of the things that I struggle with in learning, you and I spend a lot of time researching, is a lot of customer service focused organizations or training programs 
really focused on just one side of it, which is how do you deliver what, you know, great customer service? How do you instill the culture that the, the customer is always right? And there needs to be a balance there. And I don't see a lot of good information out there to help business owners figure out how to balance that. That's right. Because not every customer is a good customer. Not every customer needs to be a customer of your business. And in the business I have here in Colorado Springs, you know, there are a lot, sometimes there's a lot of frustrated customers because their expectations of what we deliver are very different. And I think that's where Southwest Airlines did a really good job early on of setting a standard of here's what we do, but more importantly, here's what we don't do. Here's what we're not going to do. That's right. And so you focus on your loyal customers and, and that's where your focus should be. So we've talked about starting and ending at the top, culture being critical, systems is the next point. You have to have systems in place so that this delivery and focus on remarkable customer service is built in. It's the manuals, it's the training, it's the forms, it's the checklist, it's the procedures, so that there is a system and a process for how we do things that backs up, that documents, that provides that foundation for how we do it, how we deliver remarkable customer service. So that is critical. You know my my strong belief in systems, and that's something right. that we've installed in our um, in our companies where we deliver well on customer service. Yeah, and I will just let the world know that Henry is a <laughs> systems geek, I guess, if I can use that term. He's very good at this. And, and the thing I think that makes our relationship so good is Henry's very good at certain things that I'm not good at. So Henry's great at, at delivering systems and developing systems and making repeatable and scalable. And that also affects the culture, too. So Agreed. Going, going back to an example of Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, great customer service, but it has a lot to do with their culture and a lot to do with the systems that they put into place. Right, and, and the time that they spend in training and coaching and developing their staff, which is a, another point. But let, let's talk about, let's segue then into that point, which is the employees. Let's come back to that. A couple of points. One is the one I, I've summarized as hire slowly, fire quickly. And, and I did not come up with that. I wish I knew where I read that first. But it's this concept of hiring correctly, a good fit, and then getting rid of people who are just not a fit for us, for our team. And you want to speak to that, Dave, for a moment? You know, uh, something that still takes me a lot to learn. I, I've, I've gotten better with this, but in my organizations, I we try to hire slowly and fire quickly. We're still working on that, but it's very difficult to do. Uh, if you don't have a good process in place for hiring, then you miss – this whole issue of how to make the culture uh, what you wanted as a business owner, because then the the, uh, the the prisoners are in charge of the the prison. If you're not careful, if if they know that they can get away with with things, if they want to push the out the bounds of the culture, uh, then that's that's what they're going to do. They're going to make it their culture versus your culture. Uh, you know, you look at at Chick Fil A, great example of a company if you they they go through hiring season so i think they'll they'll be hiring for summer season here very quickly but they get hundreds and hundreds of applicants uh that want to work there and they want to work there primarily because the culture is good if you had a bad hire for say for example their process didn't find uh they actually hired somebody that didn't fit culturally which i think their percentage is is very low but if that person tried to go in and change that culture, so 
change the culture of Chick-fil-A. Can you imagine how difficult it would be for that person to do that? That's right. Exactly. And we've had a similar experience, David, at, at our frozen yogurt uh, shop where we've hired the wrong people and the team pushes them out, right? The, the team yeah. calls them out and, and they say, this person's not a fit. It's not that that person's a bad person or they may not go on to do great things. It's just in our team, they're, they're not a fit. And if you've right. got that culture instilled and you and you stick to it and you keep that bar high, the team themselves will squeeze those people out and highlight them as someone who does not fit. Right. And that's, that's my ultimate goal is to develop a culture. If you can develop a culture and the systems uh, and have the right people in place where the culture self-corrects the problem, then that's where you want to be. Right. So hire slowly, fire quickly. The people that you do bring on, you need to invest in them. You must train, you must coach, and you must develop. And that is an ongoing process that doesn't end after the first week of training. It starts with the systems so that there's a formal process to training and certifying someone. It, it's in the coaching and it's in teaching your managers and leaders on how to do that effectively. It's continuous feedback. It's you as an owner uh, providing a compliment or highlighting and catching when someone's doing something right. It's all of those things combined that lead to an effective team that works together to deliver consistent, remarkable customer service. Another great book I read recently is uh, Delivering Happiness by Tony Hesch. He was the founder of Zappos.com, the, the shoe retailer who was acquired by Amazons for, I can't remember how much money, a very successful company. And one of the things that they used to do, I think they still do it, is when they hire someone at the end of the first week of training, after you've been hired, they will offer you $2,000 to quit. And that right. $2,000 offer is a standing offer until you finish your fourth week of training. So think about that. I'm offering you $2,000 to quit and the philosophy behind it is he doesn't want people and the culture doesn't want people that are just there for a paycheck. They want people that buy in to their culture, that buy into their manifesto, their 10 core values. And that's how stringent, how adamant, how focused they are on making sure they hire the right people. Yeah, that's a tremendous. And I've heard that example. And it's, it's amazing that they're able to do that. But I would assume that that offer's not taken very Great, often. Great, not enough to, to ruin the company. Now, I, I can't afford to do that. <laughs> I can't afford to do that at, at my smaller company, but it's just a, it's yeah. a great example of really being committed wholeheartedly to this concept of hiring the right kind of people, hiring the personality as opposed to necessarily the skill set. Certainly for the type of businesses that we run where we're not hiring an engineer or an attorney or a doctor, we, we right. can teach them the skills, the task. What I can't teach them is the personality. I can't teach them their desire and enjoyment of working with others, of delighting people. I can't teach that. The gal that checked me out at Hertz you can't teach her to be that way. She has that personality. That's the way she goes about her day for the most part. And so that's why they hired her. They can teach her how to check me out and how to check her my driver's license, but they can't teach her that personality that comes from within. And that's what they look for. And that's what we look for. Right. And she might have a personal manifesto of saying, I'm going to try to affect everybody I get in contact with today. Exactly. And I'm going to try to send a little bit of love if you want to use that term, 
to everybody that I have a contact. And it makes life so much better. I, at at those at that type of employee, so I'm going to call them generally unskilled employees. It's very frustrating for me many times to get those people to think about, you know, this is your life, this is your job, and I know it might not be what you want to do long term, but this is your life right now in this particular moment. And how are you going to live it? Are you going to enjoy your life? Are you going to enjoy the contact you have with people? Are you going to try to make people happy, which in turn will make you happy? And it's just, you know, but and, and the, so it, it's great to see people that do that and live like that and, and that. And that's what's remarkable is that person who's checking you out at Hertz didn't have to do that. That's right. I mean, she she didn't have to do that, but they chose to make the experience good for themselves and for other people. And how much better things are for the for the customers, how much things are better for their coworkers how much things are better for them. Yeah, and we're not trying to say that this is easy, that it's easy to find these people. We, we will definitely come back to this topic in future podcasts because it is so so much of a challenge and so critical. So we don't make it, want to make it sound like it's easy to find these people. It's a challenge. And in one of your businesses, David, it's a particular challenge because of the type of work you're doing. In another business that we own, it's easier because of the environment. So depending on the type of product or service and environment that you have, it can be harder or easier to find these people. So it's it's not we're not trying to paint this as something you just do automatically. We get it. It's a challenge. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the next point, which is to listen uh, as far as relating to delivering remarkable customer service. You have to listen to your customers and you also have to listen to your staff, to your employees, especially those employees that you've trust that's been been with you for a while that are in leadership positions, but not even just leadership positions. Anybody who you trust and has been there for a while, listen to their feedback. Listen to what they tell you. Listen to the ideas that they have. You you will then take those and filter those and apply them to what you believe is best for your business, but you have to listen to the customer and to your staff. So what are you listening for when you're listening when you're listening to the staff and the customers? What what are you listening for, Henry? I, I tend to listen for things I hear repeatedly, in other words, a, a theme, uh, a constant. I, I want to corroborate that, that an idea or an issue isn't just a one-off or one person's unique perspective. So when I start to hear something repeatedly, then I start to think, hmm, there's something here. Now, the only way I'm going to get that is if I listen enough. And there's various ways to listen, right? I'm listening by observing the obvious listening in the shop and asking questions, but I'm listening online. I'm listening to survey results. I'm listening to input. I'm listening to questions. All of that is under the category of listening to what people are trying to tell you. And so I'm looking for the themes, the patterns to identify where there might be something I need to consider changing or adding. Okay. So out of a hundred customers that you're listening to, what percentage do you think are valuable and then there's the what I call the fringe customers right. so there's people that want to want things cheaper they want things for free they want things yeah you want to change your business yeah, and that, and that, how do you list how do you listen to those people? and that's a hard one Dave it, that it's a tough question to answer I think what I go back to is I try to keep in mind who my avatar or my target customer is who who that person is so in one of our businesses we know our target customer, who we're appealing to the most, is a mom and the family. So I try to think, is it coming from that voice? 
Is, is that who's expressing it? Are they sharing something that I think that that ideal customer across all of those ideal customers, my loyal customers, is that something that would resonate with them? And it's, it's not an easy thing. That's why I'm listening for it on a repeated basis, not just a one-off. But if that same type of customer, which is my target customer, is saying it to me, I need to listen. Yeah, and I think that's where Seth Godin became such a – he's a genius, but that's where I think he was one of the first people to start describing customer groups in terms of tribes uh, and really focusing on smaller groups – of customers, but make them very, very loyal because as technology progresses, as the social media progresses, there's a lot of noise out there and it's very difficult for a business owner to kind of wade through all the information they're getting, uh, whether it's helpful or not helpful. That's right. So listening, and then that segues to the next point, which is measure. I think they're, they're related. Measuring how you're doing. How are you delivering? And that's through various measures, you have mystery shoppers, surveys, reviews, uh, online or otherwise, observe and ask, like we just talked about it as part of listening. What does your staff think? What are your customers telling you? So you need to always measure that. Don't, don't assume that you're doing great. You know, ha- have a trusted friend or colleague that the business doesn't know walk in as a customer. All of those different techniques that are available to you, you should always be testing and measuring how we're doing. Yeah, and we get a lot of great comments on our businesses. And uh, so friends will make a lot of input to me, both good and bad on how the business is doing. Mostly good, mostly good. So that's either we're doing a great job or they're lying to us. I don't know which one it might be. <laughs> but, right. um, but, you know, getting friends to tell you how things are going, asking friends to go through and maybe make a mistake, for example. So when, when they go through uh, the car washes, uh, you know, have them make a mistake when they're loading or ask for an unusual request and see what the, what the uh, staff does. Yeah. So you have to execute on all of these things consistently. It's really I have found since I've come to this focus about four or five years ago, reading Seth Godin's stuff, giving it some thought, applying it in our businesses. The hard part is the consistency of it. In other words, you can't have one day when you're good and then the next day that team of your staff isn't as strong. You can't have that because from a customer's perspective, and this is something that it crystallized for me long ago in the early 90s with the business that I owned, which is uh, we could deliver, uh, it was a pizza business, we could deliver a thousand pizzas that night without error, but the one pizza that we delivered that had the wrong toppings on it, for that customer, that was a 100% error rate. And that's that's right. a hard thing to get your head around. The customer doesn't care that the other 999 times you executed flawlessly. All they care about, understandably, just like I would if I was the customer, is that you messed up their order. You messed up their experience. And so you got to think of it that way. The other way to think about it is that we try to look at it as not this visit, not this interaction alone, but the next interaction, the next visit, the repeat business, and always looking at the customer that way. Uh, Sewell, in his book, Customer for Life, talks a lot about that. It's not just now, but I want to sell a car to your children and your next car and your grandchildren. And they have. They've been in business since 1911 doing just that. So executing consistently, that, that comes back to the initial point of it starting at the top. If you don't really believe in this, 
if this isn't inculcated in your culture, in what you believe, in who you are, and what you stand for, then it will be one of the many programs that you might have tried. You get some, you know, great excitement about it initially, and then it just, the dimmer switch goes down, and it fades away, and you go back to doing it the way you were before. So it goes back to starting at the top. It's got to be part of your culture. You have to have systems in place that make this repeatable and scalable. Your training, your staff, how you hire, how you train, how you develop, how you motivate has to be in line with it. You have to continuously listen and measure to see how you're doing, to see how you can change it, to see how you can improve it. And then you have to do this consistently, methodically, and with stamina and, and for the long haul, not just for a week or one day or one customer. Yeah, and I would say, as you probably can probably tell at this point, Henry's the big cheerleader for this, uh, executing consistently. He's done a great job in our company of making sure that this is at the forefront of everybody's mind every week. So you're right about stamina is a big part of it. You've got to be able to get up every day and say, this is our focus, and we're not going to settle for less. And with the pressures and the responsibilities of running a business, this is something that can be easily forgotten. But, uh, Henry, you've done a great job in our businesses of making sure that uh, we execute in these areas consistently. Yeah, I appreciate that. But it also takes a partner, like we are partners, who are on the same page philosophically. Even though right. I might have some ideas on executing on it, we, you and I have to be on the same page at the top in believing in this or it doesn't right. matter whether I'm good at executing at it or not. We, we believe in this. It's who we are. It's how we want our businesses to represent us. Right, right. And we've done that to the detriment sometimes of profitability. Agreed, so agreed. We, we've been focused on, and we, we've said if, you know, businesses are going to be profitable or not, we're going to make sure we do this and do it, do it to the best of our ability. Okay, Henry, we've talked a lot about uh, remarkable customer service. Let's wrap this particular podcast up and let's – Kind of focus the things that we talked about. If you want to kind of review what we've talked about, and then let's give our audience two or three things they can go away with and start working on for their culture. Absolutely. So we iterated quite a few times. It starts at the top. It ends at the top. You have to believe it. It's got to be part of your culture. It's got to be inculcated in your culture, what you state publicly, what you believe in. You have to have systems in place so that it's repeatable, so that it's scalable. Your staffing has to be right. You got to hire the right people. You got to get rid of the people who don't fit. You need to consistently train, coach, and develop your staff with a focus on delivering customer service. You have to listen and measure. You got to listen so that you're continuously improving this. This isn't something you put out once and uh, put out a, a memo on and then you're done. This is a continuous thing. You got to always listen to your customers, always listen to your staff. How can we make it better? We have to measure it. How are we doing? And then it's that consistent part, which is perhaps the hardest part, because that's what takes the stamina. That's what takes the endurance to do this day in, day out, to set the bar high, to never let that bar drop, regardless of what you might be facing, regardless of the struggles or the challenges that you might be facing financially. You always focus on this and you never let it out of your sight. So that consistency, and you drill this into your culture and into your staff, that this is what we do on a daily basis. And over time, you will find that it takes on a life of its own. And we, you both and I have been amazed by that, pleasantly so, 
when it really starts to be part of what our culture does. It's just how we do things at our particular businesses. That doesn't mean we haven't had failures, Dave. It doesn't mean we haven't had struggles. We, we do that every day. That's the consistency part, right? If we stopped focusing on this, trust me, it would revert back to people doing what they want to do, cutting corners, uh, doing things not as well. Those things will creep in, right? Right, right. Yeah, no doubt. And it would creep in in a hurry. And I, as we're talking about this, I think of, you know, developing remarkable customer service as a culture. Uh, to use the analogy of water skiing, do you remember, like, when you first get going on water skiing, <laughs> you know, you're in the water, the rope's there, you say, go ahead and hit it, the boat starts pulling you, and how difficult it is for that first 10 or 20 feet to get up out of the water and get on those water skis. Once you get on top of those water skis, though, it's much easier. So just like anything else, any any time you make changes in yourself or your organization, it's very difficult at first, but once you develop that as a habit or develop as a culture, it becomes much easier to maintain. Exactly. I agreed. It's, it's that friction that you're overcoming initially. Uh, so. Right. An action item for our listeners, um, lots of things that you can go and start doing, but let's, let us give you one thing. We'd, we'd like you to go and take an honest look at your staff, at your employees, particularly, of course, those that deal with the customer, that face the customer, and ask yourself this question. Are they truly empowered? Do you have the systems and procedures in place? Do you allow them to make decisions on their own when it comes to customer service? And it's a really hard question, and it's a deep question, so don't just immediately answer it, but do an analysis, an honest analysis, an honest assessment as to where you are today in empowering your staff to deliver remarkable customer service. You know, and as I think about it, Henry, the easiest thing you might do for that is just go ask your employees. Yeah, that's a good Ask your employees and say, um, you know, do you feel empowered to take care of customer issues? Yeah, and well, when something bad happens, when when a customer isn't happy, how do you deal with it? And you're you're right. gonna you're gonna learn a lot, David, exactly in, in how they answer that. If the answer is, well, you know, I go fill out this form, or I go get my manager, or I call corporate, or you know, whatever, some kind of process that is not, I take care of it right away. I give the customer another one. I replace it. I immediately, if it's not that kind of language, of course it depends on the type of business that you're running, right? But mm -hmm. so a lot of it depends on that. But if that's not what you're hearing, you might have an issue. Uh, excited to uh, see how we implement that. I'm going to take it away, Henry. I'm going to go ask that question to my employees next week, so I'll let you know how that goes. And uh, it's going to wrap it up for this issue of How of Business with David and Henry. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.